Uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Before we get started, I just want to kind of uh, fill you in on a couple of things. First of all, we as a church, we'll talk about offering stuff from time to time. We have another offering. This is sort of like the above and beyond offering. We call it benevolence, and so if you give electronically, there's that option for benevolence. Or if you go out this door later this morning on your left, you'll see uh, a, a little um, just thing for benevolence offerings there. Uh, the benevolence offerings are, are offerings that you can give specifically to to help people out who are in need. And, and from time to time, I like to let you know sort of how those things were used um, so that you're aware of what, what those are going towards. So a lot of times they'll go towards meals, uh, families that are in need. We'll give, we'll give gift cards or, or we'll order a meal. You know, uh, We had some families who had COVID and did some different things to help them out along the way as they needed it. Uh, this past week, we had a bigger item come up where somebody in the community, their house burnt down. And so they're left without uh, lodging for them and for their children. And so uh, we're able to give money towards that to help them to, to get clothes and to get food. And so just wanted to let you know that that's a cool thing that God was able to, to do to meet a need of somebody in the community. So we greatly appreciate those of you who give towards that when God leads to it. Uh, second thing I want to let you know is we've got... Uh, we, the, the sanctuary looks a little bit different this morning for those of you who are here. If you look towards the back, we got some holes in the wall that we cut um, to be able to move some of the sound and video equipment in there. And, and that really kind of all spawned largely because of a statement that I made one day when some kids were going into the, the sanctuary and they went into the sanctuary. And I remembered that the computer was there and the camera was there and, and everything was there. And I said, hey guys, just, just be careful when you go in there. And the second that I said that, I didn't like it. I, I, I didn't like the idea that we as a church had a main sanctuary where, where kids are involved uh, throughout the week and we have our kids programs. And I didn't like the idea that they had to be careful when they were in there. Um, so that looked at us beginning to say, we've got a passion and obligation for the next generation. So how can we make things a little bit less carefree for kids so that we don't have parents and adults upset at kids because they broke something when we could have just moved it out of the way. Um, plus, we're just a church that changes things. Anything other than the teaching of the scripture is open to, uh, to look at to say, what's the best way we can use what God has given us um, in the way that he, he's, what's the best way we can use what God's given us to accomplish the mission he has for us. So, so that's some of the thinking behind that. If there's ever a change you don't understand, you're more than welcome to talk to us about it. But let's talk about what we're here to talk about this morning. Uh, we're here to talk about God and, and forgiveness and what that looks like for us and, and why that's such a big deal to us. You know, I, I talked about kids maybe breaking something uh, in the sanctuary and trying to avoid that. Have you ever broken something? Have you ever broken something and that was important to somebody else? Something that maybe had sentimental value? And it's, I mean, it's one thing if you break something they don't care about, but have you ever broken something that somebody else really, really cared about? For me, honestly, that's happened far more than I care to admit. I have a number of stories that fall into this category, but there's one in particular that kind of it, it rises to the top as far as uh, being the worst time that I broke something that was important to somebody. And it, it goes back to the days when, uh, when, when our kids were just you know, little bitty toddlers running around, and we went over to another couple's house, and we were we were talking with them, and, and, and they, had, they had moved past the kids' stage, so they didn't have a lot of things, um, they, they didn't have a lot of things child-proofed. And so we as parents were super concerned, keeping an eye on the kids, and, and one of us had one, and I had to watch the other to make sure that nobody broke anything. The problem was nobody was watching me. Um, and so uh, at one point in the evening, we're sitting down on the couch talking, and they've got a lot of like football memorabilia around the room, and I'm like constantly pulling kids away from it. 
And they, they start to tell a story of their first date, the first date that they went on, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and how uh, after the first date, this, the, the guy in the relationship got the, the girl as sort of this like memento joke, like this ceramic E.T. bank. It was about this big, and it was E.T., and it was like him giving out uh, M&Ms or whatever, whatever it was, Reese's Pieces, I don't remember. Um, but it was just this, this thing that became cherished to them because it represented the beginning of their relationship. And he brought it out, and he was showing it to me, um, and we got done talking about it and how meaningful it was to them, and I just set it on the floor right beside me. Uh, and then I continued to watch my, my uh, three-year-old run around the room, uh, grab stuff off the shelf. And in an effort to get up to p- protect something from being broken, I stood up and, and just honestly so focused on him that I forgot that E.T. was right next to my foot. And as I stood up, my foot lifted it. And I didn't knock it over. Like that would have been one thing if I knocked it over. But in the speed that I was going to try to, to save him from breaking something, my foot actually lifted under E.T.'s jaw and flung him across the room. And he hit the wall and shattered into pieces. And everything in me had been prepared for this moment from cartoons and Three Stooges where all I could do was just laugh at what was pure comedic gold. But then everything in me as a close friend and a pastor who's done counseling for relationships and just wanted to like cry. And it was like this most awkward experience of emotions afterwards where I was laughing, but it looked like I was crying and they were crying somewhat. It just was totally uncomfortable because I knew that I had broken something so incredibly important to them. And that moment afterwards where I'm like, I'm so sorry, but sorry doesn't really feel like it cuts it sometimes, does it? Feel like and there's got to be a little bit more. Like, well, and so like I, I'm looking o- online later that night, like old ceramic ET bank, and there's just nothing. Like this was like the last of its kind. This was like the ET of the ETs, and it just I couldn't find it. And and even though I apologized, I never really felt like it. Just that that situation still kind of hangs in my heart. Like I. Uh, even telling this story is a little bit awkward because it was so cherished to them. And, and, and see, forgiveness is this thing that, that you really have to look at it and say, what's the path to be back to what it was like before it happened? Because that's really what I wanted, right? I wanted to go back to the place that it was like before it happened. So when we talk about forgiveness in the series, I want us to think about that sort of understanding, that forgiveness is sort of this path back to the way things were before it had been broken. So I want us to go back. We're going to look at, look at the beginning of, of sort of God's path in forgiveness for us to go to the place where it's unbroken. Because the one who is wronged is always the one who gets to decide the path. Because they're sort of laying out what this looks like for things to be restored. And we're going to go back. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. And, and I want us to pray before we go into the text because Leviticus is so just foreign from how we understand life and how we look at society and, and how we do what we do that I just want us, before we go there, to just ask God to teach us. So let's, let's pray. Uh, God, I love you, and I love the fact that you have given us a path to the way things can be. 
the way that we can get back to a relationship with you that is, in a sense, unbroken. And Father, I pray as we go back and we look through the book of Leviticus and we look at some of this teaching that's just really quite foreign to us, that we would understand the heart of what you're communicating, that we'd be able to just look at it and, and logically make sense of it so that then as we talk about forgiveness in this series, we can understand how incredibly important this is to you. May we ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so let's, let's check it out. Leviticus chapter 4. We'll read from verse 27. Really, I could have went to anywhere in this chapter, and you would get something quite similar to this statement right here. Um, it says, If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. What, what just happened there? I mean, that's, that's not, this, this is messy. This is, this is kind of awkward for us to look at. Like if I went over to your house for dinner and you were doing this, I would probably leave. I'd come up with some sort of excuse like, oh, you know what, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't really, it, it feels just weird to us as we look at it because it's so removed from what we're, we're used to, the, it's messy, it's bloody, it seems, it seems kind of gory, and it just leaves us with a bunch of questions. Why a female goat? Why, why is this what's pleasing to God? What, what's the deal with the blood and the, and the fat? And, uh, why is this, why is sin even an issue? And see, here's the thing, I think a lot of times we'll look at a text like this, if you, if you read this on your own at home, what do you normally do? You maybe just read over and say, okay, that's there. What do, what do we do with that? I just gloss over it and go to the next thing. And, and we, we tend to just move past these things. Well, what's going on here? Because this is, this is the stuff where if we're honest, that people will look at Christianity and they'll say, you guys, your scriptures tell you to do this, but you don't. So, so what's the deal? Why do you make such a big deal of sexuality or homosexuality or gender issues, but, but then, then you don't practice this stuff? So, so how can you take one and not the other? It's hypocritical. What, what do we do with that? Why, why don't we practice this? The reality is there's actually lots of commands in the Bible that we don't practice. There's lots of commands that we're not supposed to practice. The Bible even tells us that we don't have to, that we shouldn't. And, and so, really what I want us to do is I want us to get to the point where we can understand this. So you, you go home and you're reading through texts like this, you can say, okay, well, I understand where this falls and what the Scripture's doing, that this isn't one of those things that it's telling me to do, it's educating me as to something someone at some point was supposed to do. Someone at some point was supposed to do. Leviticus, for instance, is written as a training manual to priests in the Old Testament. It's written to train them. It's written to tell them this is what they're supposed to look for as somebody brings an offering. Make sure that it fits into these categories. And, and so what the book is really trying to do is it's, it's 
telling a story within the greater story of the scriptures. And I want us to kind of just take a step back to be able to understand what that greater story is. So so I've got a picture I want to show you. This is a picture of what's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle is big in the book of Leviticus. Um, this isn't the actual one. This is just sort of a replica idea. They have a really cool, like, live full-size replica of it in Lancaster, which is really, really neat. It's worth the time to go there. Um, but th- this is just, think of, you, you think of a temple, right? So you have the idea of what a temple is. Maybe you've seen a temple before. This is like the, the Jewish version 1.0 of the temple. This is like the flip phone of the temple world. All right, this is the beginning of it all. This was the mobile temple until God took the nation of Israel into the promised land. And, and this tabernacle, like everything inside is just coated in gold and it's special. And, and there's a place in the, the very center of that tent on the inside, which, which nobody was supposed to go in. And, and it just it signified the fact that God is special. He's different. He's not like all the other gods that are out there. You, you don't just you know, sit down and carve out a little image of him, and there he is, and, and you worship him. But God is above all of that, and, and he's, he's, just, he's glorious, but yet in his glory, he wants us to be close to him. He wants us to be close. And so that's, that's really the trend that we'll see through the book of Leviticus, is the idea that God wants to be close to us, and sort of what we'll see is a process through which God reveals that. So I think about it like this. Got another photo that I want to show you. And this is just probably totally out in the dark compared to the other photo I just showed you. Uh, th- this is actually, it looks like a photograph. It's not. This is a piece of art that was done by a friend of our family's, Amy Stauffer, uh, who does what's called scratchboard art. Scratchboard art. It's incredible. I mean, this is just, it was a black canvas and then they'll take little ceramic pens and just one stroke at a time they'll begin to pull away the 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 black canvas to create the image that you're looking at which just blows my mind that first of all somebody can be that good at doing this and second of all that they can look at just a black sheet and and see that and see a leopard stalking its prey and and just all of its beauty and all of its glory And, and if you watch her do this it's this just lengthy process of looking and planning exactly what to reveal next. And over the course of hours and days, you begin to see what she's seeing. And it's this process of just removing the, 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 sort, of, sort of the darkness, so to speak, to reveal what's there. And throughout the Old Testament, that's essentially what's happening is God, through each verse, through each chapter, through each book of the Bible, is beginning to remove what, what, what is not seen on the canvas so that we can go and we can see a little bit more and we can see a little bit more. And so I just want to take us right now sort of this overview from the books before and after Leviticus to sort of show you those, those strokes of the knife to reveal and show us what's actually there. So Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Uh, we'll, we'll start there. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Key phrase. Moses could not enter, could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, so there's that tent in the tabernacle, and Moses can't go in. Leviticus 1.1 says, The Lord called to Moses to speak to him and spoke to him from the tent of the meeting. So Moses can't go in, 
Exodus ends there. Leviticus opens here. Moses, I'll talk to you, but you're still outside. Then look at Numbers 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of the meeting in the desert of Sinai. And so you see this progression. Moses, you, you can't go in. Moses, you can't go in, but from this, I'll communicate to you. To Moses, you can come in. And so one stroke at a time through the book, you see this change where we can become closer to God. See, Leviticus, Leviticus is really about getting people in the tent. It's about getting people into the tent, getting as close to God as they can get. And so they're here, God, God is separate from them, and God wants us to be near him. And so stroke at a time, he gets us closer to the tent. And what we see in the book of Leviticus is that forgiveness is sort of the key fob to get in the tent. Forgiveness is that which allows you to come in. That forgiveness gains you access. And all of Leviticus is saying, God is holy, stay away. You've got something wrong with you, stay away. But if that can be removed through forgiveness, then you get to come near. That's ultimately the message of Leviticus. is God saying, stay away because there's something about sin that does not mix with holy. It's like oil and water. You can try all day long to get them to come together, but they don't. It's like life and death. The two, the two don't mesh. And so sin and holy stay back. Sin is, uh, I love the way Chris Dolson defines this. He says, sin is a vandalism on the character of God. It's a defilement. It, it, it's disgusting to him. It doesn't change the fact that he loves those who are covered by it. But, but sin and God don't mix like oil and water wouldn't mix. A couple years ago, I, I was hunting with a friend of mine, and we were doing this deer drive, and it was late in the season, and we were walking uh, through some cornfields, and um, it, it was cold, and it was pretty windy, and, and we look off in the next field over, and uh, we see this just sort of sprinkler going off, and it smells, it smells bad. And I'm like, what is, what is that smell? And he's like, that's duck manure. I'm like, that's disgusting. And I don't know if you've ever smelled like, if, you, if you're from Lancaster County like I am, you have a ranking of the smells of manure. And like, like cow manures, that's not that bad, you know? The cow, but then you get like chicken and pig. At the top of the manure rankings is duck, and it's not even close. It's like as bad as, as manure can be. It's awful. Um, I went to a duck farm once, and it was just, it was disgusting. So we're out there in the field, and we're hunting, and this this wind comes towards us, and I'm like, oh, that, that's awful. And he's like, yeah, that, that's duck manure. We want, we want to stay away from that. And, and just as soon as we say that, the sprinkler, like, and this is giant sprinkler, it turns. And it catches this. All, all I can say is, is like this God-ordained wind gust. And it just blew all of this mist and mess all over us. And I'm like, like it's like in my mouth. It's like, if you think that this is the one day it was bad to have a beard. It was just awful. And we're just covered head to toe in duck manure. And we're just sitting there. And we're like, we're done hunting at this point. This is, this is gross. This is gross. It's disgusting. Ugh. I get sick just thinking about it right now. 
Can you imagine if I went home and tried to hug my wife? Can you imagine? She'd be like, I love you, but no. One time I, I butchered a pig, and I, I had shoes and clothes on for, that smelled from butchering a pig, and I got to the front door, and I was like, honey, I'm home, and she goes, get out. You stink. You've got to get changed on the front door. I was like, honey, there's neighbors. She's like, I don't care. None of you, none of that comes in here. It's gross. Like if I'm a pastor and I, I went from duck manure and I showed up to officiate your wedding, can you imagine? You'd be like, I love you. You're, you're cool, but that's gross. Go away. Go home. Because you, you know, like if I try to give you a hug, go. Ugh. I love you, but that, that would defile me. It's gross. This is what the scriptures present sin as to God. This, ah, it, it's, it's gross. But what Leviticus is revealing is that God, in his incredible love, he's incredibly holy, but in his incredibly, incredible love, wants to forgive us and wants to cleanse any who are willing of sin and the defilement that it brings on them. And you know what? You know what God uses to wipe away sin, to clean up sin? Blood. He uses blood. That's weird. Why, 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 would, he, why would he use blood? And we start to go back to that text we read in Leviticus. Oh, okay, he's, he's cleaning up the mess with blood. Why, why would he use blood? He tells us. He tells us with another stroke of the knife and revealing more of that canvas in Leviticus 17. He says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement, make a, make a covering for yourselves on the altar to, to, to cleanse. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. He says the blood represents the, the life of an animal. God is life. God is life. Anything near him and close to him is alive. Anything away from him is death. Genesis 1 through 3 talks about that. And so God's not simply loving and holy, but he's also life. And he wants to bring things near to him. And he wants, to, wants us to have life in him. And so he says, look, part of this cleansing process is, is for one life to be given for another. And so he says, take the blood of an animal to have an atonement, a covering of your wrong. And so... Look, here's the, that's where the female goat comes in, by the way. Or in other cases, it might be a male goat, or maybe it's a dove, or just different things that they have for different occasions. And, and again, this kind of seems odd to us, but in another sense, it doesn't really, because anybody who eats meat would understand that you, in taking the life of an animal, are sustaining your life physically. That's essentially what's happening spiritually. God says something is giving life to be able to cover over so that you can have Spiritual life. As this means of saying that we can be in the tent. We can be in, in the tent. And so what God's doing is he's giving us an awareness. He's wanting us to see the problem. Have you ever had an issue with somebody and they didn't know it? And, and maybe you'll say things like, they ought to know. They should know that I'm upset with them. Well, that's not mature, right? Mature is to say, hey, I, have, I love you. I have an issue with you. I want you to be aware of what hurts me. Leviticus is God saying, I want you to be aware. 
God wanted a way for them to live without guilt or distance. And so that starts with them saying, I've got an issue here. I'm aware of what it is. I can't receive the love. I can't go back to that path, to the unbroken relationship with God without first knowing that I have an issue. And so Leviticus, with all its seemingly obscure rules, is about this path to the tent through forgiveness. And 10 times there's these climactic statements of, you will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. Because they broke something. See, sin is this idea that it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Sacrifice, the word for sacrifice, the verb form of it in, in the book of Leviticus, is sort of to de-sin. So you've got sin and then de-sin so that you can find the path back to the way, that the thing, to, to undo the, the duck manure-like effect of sin on you through forgiveness. And so why don't we do that today? Like, why is this not the way? Why are you on the way home not going to stop and buy a female goat, go down to the tabernacle or the temple and have this? Why, why is it not that anymore? Well, as we keep going through in the scriptures, there's more ceramic pen movements. And now we jump way into the, 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 the New Testament in Hebrews where something has dramatically changed. You see, so much more. It's not just a whisker or like a claw. You, you see the whole thing. You, you begin to see it all. So Hebrews 10 verse 1, from this perspective, it says, the law, the, the law, so all the Old Testament sacrificial teaching, all the things that went through that, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. He said, no, 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 the, the law was a shadow. Just like the tabernacle was version 1.0, version 2.0, the temple actually got there one time. You might build something and say, this is temporary. It's just, to, just till I can get my house built. That's what he's saying the, the law was, that this had a purpose and it Gave us, gave us an awareness of our sin, but this is not what it was supposed to be forever. And he goes on in Hebrews 10 to say, day after day, every, piece, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, and he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. All of this was anticipating what Jesus would do. And God was saying in Leviticus, this is the path. It's not perfect, but it's a beginning. And one day, I will send my son, Jesus, to make perfect everything the law was supposed to be. So that now it doesn't depend on you and your ability to, to do all this to be forgiven, but it's through Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. See, I, I heard it explained like, like this by Chris Dolson, Blackhawk Church pastor, and he, he, says, he says, it's like, 
It's like the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Gospels and the Scriptures. To, to give you an understanding of what that's like, um, it, it's like if you've got a light on one hand and you've got a cross. I know this is like little bitty. Um, the staff was joking. This is like my personal exorcism kit or something. Um, it's not. It's just a little toy, uh, a toy flashlight and little cross. Um, but um, if, if, you're, if you're looking at the timeline of the Scriptures from this perspective, the Old Testament would be anything that's on this side that's just seeing sort of the shadow. Like, all you see is the fact that there's a light coming. There's something that's going to happen. They're anticipating some sort of change. And then the Gospels, you're just kind of looking at this side view, and you see, okay, I see the cross. I don't really understand fully all why. And you see, you see the apostles, or the disciples following after Jesus. They don't get it all the time. They're kind of like, you see these moments where like, you're the Messiah. And then they're like, are you the Messiah? Because they don't see the whole picture. They see parts. Of, they see pieces of it. They're just seeing a perspective. And, and then you get to Hebrews and you get to the church and you're looking and you see it all. And you see the light and you see Jesus on the cross and you see the shadow that, that anticipated it all. And so, so what, what really what we're seeing is sort of in, in this overview of scriptures is the shadow was how it was. But now we, we live on this side of the cross and so... No, we, we, biblically, we're not supposed to keep all the commands that came before the cross. It tells us not to. Jesus completed the law. Now, some of those, some of those things were really good, and you have some really strong moral teachings that they repeat in the light, and we should live by them, and they should guide us. And The law of the New Testament is the law of love, the law of Christ, that, that whatever is loving, we should do towards one another. So like the, we talked about the Sabbath the past couple of weeks in the previous series. We don't lift all the Sabbath rules and regulations and put them back over here, but we'll take the Sabbath principle We'll take the idea of rest and reflecting on God and worshiping Him as the Spirit guides us to do it, and we'll, we'll put it over here. And so, we, of course, we don't do the sacrificial system anymore because Jesus completed that. Like, I don't go back and take my SATs, I don't go back and take tests that I used to take in, in high school and college. I don't go back and rewrite papers because they're done. Jesus finished it on the cross. What does he say? It's finished. He one time offered a sacrifice and sat down because he completed it perfectly. And so we live in the light. We live in the new covenant. And if you thought forgiveness was big in the old covenant, if you thought 10 times in the book of Leviticus was a big deal, over a hundred times in the New Testament, it talks about forgiveness. And forgiveness takes center stage in the New Testament. And what you see is this, is that God is bountiful in His generosity to forgive. God is bountiful in His generosity to forgive. Guys, it's like, it's like, honestly, I hate to compare it like God to Santa, but, but God in this sense is just giving out forgiveness to anybody who desires it through faith in Jesus Christ. He's generous and he's bountiful in his heart to forgive. And Christianity from its very onset becomes so, so, so much about forgiveness. Because when you enter life in the light through Jesus Christ, you're forgiven forever. First John 1.7 The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Not just the sin that happened yesterday or the sin when you were really embarrassed last week, but the sin right now. The sin you'll commit tomorrow. The blood of Jesus forgives us, purifies us from all sin. John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I want you to understand very clearly what faith in Jesus Christ is. Because it's about being close to him. There's this line that we read in the book of Leviticus where you take the female goat and then you, you place your hand on it. You place your hand on it because you're saying, I'm associating myself with this. Do you know what faith in Jesus Christ is? It's not coming to a building. It's not singing songs. It's not labeling yourself Christian. Christianity is about saying, the way they used to touch a goat to say, the sins are on it. It's in faith saying, Jesus, I'm touching you. And my sin is transferred to you. And in your place, I find life instead of death. That's faith. And that's the path to forgiveness that God offers. So the person, just two thoughts to end. The person who who, who hears this and thinks, but I've done so much wrong. How could God ever forgive me? I've done so much. If you knew, I heard people say, if you knew the things that I've done, God could never forgive me. And my response is, what more would Jesus have to do to forgive you? What more could be done? Your sin is not so great to to be so powerful that it overwhelms the idea of God himself dying and shedding his blood. If this is God's path back, what greater blood could be poured out than the Son of God? No, it's anyone who comes to faith in Christ is forgiven. This is why I believe the New Testament is built on people who were outcasts, who were hated, who were the worst of the worst, who were murderers. And God says, I'm going to take you and cleanse you and forgive you and use you to build my church. There is no, you've done too much wrong in the kingdom of God. Second thing, and this is really just to set up the series as a whole, is, is because forgiveness is sort of like the gold of, of Christianity, it's the most valuable thing that we have that we can offer, uh, then I want us to understand that when you give forgiveness, you give the most honoring tribute to what Jesus has given you. When you extend forgiveness to somebody else, you give the most honoring tribute to what Jesus has given you. You're saying, I'm doing this not because you deserve this. I'm doing this because I love God so much. And his love for me is so powerful and so cleansing that I want you to know what it's like. And so I pay tribute to Jesus Christ and his love. And so the real question about us is really as we look at what it means to be a Christian, there's, there's, forgiveness is the most Christian thing that you can do because it's that pure tribute to Jesus Christ. So I don't know what God's going to do in your heart, but I know that we get really good at holding grudges. I know we get really good at keeping people away from us. Look, what's the path look like? Because God made it so crystal clear. 
And he walked it for us so that we could be forgiven of him. There's a line in Jurassic Park um, where, where the scientists are talking and, and, uh, and the, the one guy who's kind of the heady intellectual guy, he talks about this idea of recreating dinosaurs and he says, you were so preoccupied with the fact that you could that you didn't stop to think that you should. So preoccupied with the fact that you could that you didn't stop to think that you should. I think, I think we do that with grudges. We're so preoccupied with the fact that we can we can hold power against somebody else. We can keep them from experiencing what life was. I can punish them. You could. But if you're going to be a Christian, I would encourage you over the next couple of weeks not to be obsessed with whether or not you could, but to stop and ask yourself, is this something that I should do? Because the whole thing is this beautiful reenactment of everything that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Our God and Father, in your wisdom, you created the path back to you. I mean, first of all, just in love, you wanted a path back to you. But in your wisdom, you, you said this is what it looks like. And you evidenced it only to ultimately fully complete it through your son, Jesus. Lord, I hope that each one of us has this sense of, of your holy stay away, but you're going, I love you, come close. And, and knowing that we can't fully solve that problem, you solve it for us. And through faith, you tell us that we cross over from death to life. That even though we're dead, we live. Lord Jesus, your words are so loving and so endearing. And I pray that we can come to faith in you. And that faith becomes this opportunity for us to express forgiveness as a tribute to you. In your name we pray. Amen.